This is the Find Your Forte Podcast, Episode 3. You have the passion. You have the education. Now, it's time for the inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte Podcast with Coral Director and Lifestyle Entrepreneur, Ryan Guth. All right, Choir Nation, I am thrilled to introduce to you today... Dr. Ryan James Brando. He is the artistic director of Amore Artists, a chamber chorus and baroque orchestra in New York City. Artistic director of Princeton Pro Musica, a symphonic chorus, chamber chorus and orchestra, and artistic director of the Monmouth Civic Chorus. He also serves on the faculty of Westminster Choir College, where he teaches choral literature, and this season is helping to prepare the Westminster Symphonic Choir for performances with the Philadelphia Orchestra and Vienna Philharmonic. He remains very active as a choral arranger, composer, and clinician. And as a professional singer, Dr. Brando has been heard with ensembles in the U.S., Europe, and Asia, including the American Bach Soloists, the Arcadia Players, Yale Schola Cantorum, and the choirs of King's College and Clare College and Jesus College, Cambridge. So Choir Nation, I've given you a little bit of an introduction about Dr. Brando. If you want to read his full bio, you can head on over to www.ryanguth.com forward slash 003. All right, Dr. Brando, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open, looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? Absolutely. Well, great, Dr. Brando. It's great to have you here today. Great Um, to be here. Thanks. The first thing we do is the downbeat section, and it starts with a little bit of history about you as a musician. So would you tell us about the moment that you knew when you were going to dedicate your life to choral conducting or music? Which one was first? Just take us there. Sure. So I have been involved with choir, um, I think since I was about three. You know, I joined some kind of cherub choir or something. Um, at church and um, just never stopped. I think the moment I knew that choral music was really my thing as opposed to instrumental music. You know, I was taking piano lessons and I I played the cello in the youth symphony and so on. Um, I was in eighth grade and this friend of mine, his high school choir was singing Sikut Cervus. And so he gave me this CD that he had that um, was recorded by a group here in New York City called the Voices of Ascension, and it was all Renaissance music, sort of the greatest hits of Renaissance music, and track one was Secret Cherubus. So I borrowed the CD, popped it into my, you know, disc man or whatever, and um, heard Secret Cherubus, and I heard the Josquin Ave Maria, and I heard... Lassus, you storm anime, and on and on and on. And I thought, what is this? I had never heard anything so essentially vocal, um, but so beautiful. And sort of from that moment on, I just wanted to be a part of that music. Um, and then, in terms of actually knowing that it was going to be not just my life, but my my livelihood, um, I think that kind of came. Um, my second year in college. So when I when I went away to college, I tried to pretend for a couple of months like I wasn't going to be a music major. Um, you know, I, I loved all subjects in high school and um, 
took a real smattering the first year. Um, but then, you know, I was, um, I was singing in the glee club and the chamber choir and I started to conduct my college acapella group. Uh, and it just, just felt really natural. And I thought maybe this is what I'll do. And the rest is uh, history, I guess. Very good. Now, did you go into Princeton University as a music major or undeclared, or how did that work? Uh, undeclared. So nobody declares a major at Princeton until the the end of the sophomore year. Um, you know, in the liberal arts tradition, you have to take, you're required to take all kinds of different things. Um, so I did not enter as a music major, no. I mean, my first stop the first day was the music building to look for sign-up sheets galore, you know. But mm-hmm. um, I didn't enter as a, as a music major, but I, I took a number of music classes my first year. And in a funny way, um, by majoring in music, it actually allowed me to take more of the other classes that I was interested in. You know, because let's say I had majored in English, then I would have had to take 12 English classes, leaving me with only 20 courses to cover a lot of other bases. And I probably would have swallowed up many of those with music classes. And, you know, then my then my bandwidth keeps shrinking. But by majoring in music, you know, I had those 12 or 13 classes dedicated to my major. And then I had all these other possibilities open to really round things out with a lot of other, um, a lot of other academic endeavors. So, um, I, I think it's a little bit after the fact to say that it was a strategic decision, but Mm -hmm. looking back on it, you know, I, I see the way that kind of opened things up for me, but this was a BA in music, not a, um, you know, not a performance degree. Gotcha. Very good. All right. Well, awesome. Um, so the next question we have is bringing us down to a moment where things really didn't go as planned. Uh, this might mm. be something upon looking back that you would consider to be a failure, something that you that you learned from, though, uh, something you can pull something positive out of potentially. Uh, what is that moment for you? And can you paint us that picture? Yeah, it's, it's a very specific, utter disaster. Um, so one those. of my favorite pieces is the Don Luis Pachem by Von Williams. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this marvelous cantata um, from the 1930s. And the last movement uh, spends, you know, several minutes kind of heating up and building up to this beautiful climactic moment where the choir finally um, in a sort of glorious blaze of C major sings good will toward men. And we're the orchestra sort of trucking along in a triple time one. And then there are these cross rhythms that enter and a, a, the moment, you know, the choir arrives on the big chord on men and the, the, the meter changes to a broad two and on beat two, there's supposed to be a huge cymbal crash and the entire orchestra sort of led by the brass comes in with this, this broad fanfare. And, um, I like I was, where this is going already. I, uh, whenever I hear you. symbols, this is, I, I know this is going to be great. <laughs> well, the other thing too, is that leading up to this moment, you know, everything really gets cooking, like all the bells and whistles from glockenspiel and piccolo and high violins. And then the low, like tuba trombones sort of romping along. 
lots of energy, you know, and it's the conductor's job to harness all of that and, and get it going. Um, now, this is with an orchestra that I'd only had one rehearsal with, and it was a kind of dark venue. And that's not to make an excuse for myself. It's just to say I needed to be especially ready for this for this huge moment. And uh, got there and just completely didn't have it in my bones enough. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget the kind of sound of it. You know, the choir, boom, arrived on men. And then there's this hesitant <laughs> cymbal half crash and, a, you know, a squawky trombone spills in and trumpets <laughs> kind of one after the other. And, and nobody kind of knew what was going on. And it, it's like the whole piece leading to that moment, just, just dead. Can we find us on YouTube? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was going to say, this could be a viral clip. This could have been like oh, that, that Messiah organist moment, right? Oh, man. So, um, you know, and, and, and this, was, this was early on-ish in sort of my, my experience conducting big choral orchestral works. And I had had so much... Um, so much fun preparing the whole thing and was so excited um, to do the work. And, and it was actually the second time I had conducted it. And um, although I hadn't conducted the last movement the first time that I did it. And um, I was really happy with the way it was going. But then there was that moment and I just thought, oh, man. Um, so, you know, what did I learn? I learned that um, that scenario of standing in front of 150 musicians where they're depending on you is really intense and you know you can you can know exactly what's happening in the music you know I could have written it out for you no mm -hmm. problem but until you really have it in your bones I mean from the bones in your toes to the top of your skull and fingertip to fingertip just ready to exude not only the the nuts and bolts, I mean the actual meter shift and tempo change, but just the music itself. Um, you just won't get the full performance. Um, so it was a lesson about depth of preparation, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the the number of layers of that preparation. Um, yeah, a very humbling moment for me. Um, just because I had want, I had such a, a vision for that particular moment, and it's so so glorious in in performance um, that it was a one of my bigger mismatches between what I had dreamt up and what actually happened. Oh goodness! Well, yeah. I'm glad it was early in the in the career. And me people, too. You know, <laughs> now, what was the what was the reaction? Was there was there a, is there an audible gasp or, or, or no? Was, I mean, I maybe it, it, it. I think it probably felt more disastrous to me. I gotcha. Uh, you know, than than the audience. I mean, the choir certainly knew, and so so did the orchestra. Well, and just because there was that feeling of struggle, um, but. Um, well, you know, Inquire Nation knows that 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 um, we're probably the hardest critics on our on ourselves, you know, and and then I'm sure. sure growing up, most people 
most people, you know, sung in church, sung in school, and everybody when they were done, you know, said, "Oh, what a beautiful job you did!" And then, <laughs> and then you go back and listen to the, you know, you pop in that VHS tape or Oof. that DVD, and you went, "Oh, you let me get up there," <laughs> you know? Right, 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 right. <laughs> but oh, very good. Well, that's that's fun. I like that. This is. I, and as soon as I heard cymbals, I knew this was going to be great. Uh, this is. Gonna I be mean, great. It, yeah. It's just, and, and then there. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on, let's let's go to your proudest musical moment. What was the most proud musical moment that you've had to date? Well, I will say um, one particular proud moment was the next time I did the piece. And I felt great about the way that that moment went. Isn't that nice? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had been burned enough by um the previous outing um that i i really did feel like i had it in every bone uh, in my body and it was it was a feeling i'll never forget you know of of pacing that entire movement and then getting to that to that critical moment and having it sound and feel just as i wanted it you know and it had the right the right kind of blaze and the right, um, the right weight to it. Um, and that was really wonderful. But in, in terms of like my, my proudest musical moment, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily live for that one performance moment, you know, that one, that one world record setting cross of the finish line. Um, for, for me, it's, I, I very much, um, love what I do because it can feel like a, a series of ongoing mini triumphs, you know, every time in performance or even in rehearsal that I see one of my singers take more ownership of her musical line, you know, and, and grab it and deliver it with greater musicality that, makes me very proud. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's those little I've, things. Oh, it's those little I've things. I've opened something for them. You know, I know that I've empowered them um, to make the music because at the end of the day, I'm just waving my arms. You know, I, I get it ready to go, but in performance, I don't actually sing. Um, and so if, if I feel like I have made a more enriching experience for for any individual singer in my ensemble, then I, I feel proud about that. Well, that's the true educator in you. I guess. That's yeah. what it is. No, it really is. Yeah, it's, it's watching your choir get off stage and, and them being thrilled with what they were able to produce and, you know, the fact that maybe, you know, coming into the whole endeavor, they never knew they'd be able to do that. And, you know, right. uh, you, you led them down that path and, uh, and they figured out for themselves eventually that, that they could do it and, just seeing the smile on, on, on faces, you know, when, when they, when they leave the stage, you know, and you know, right. you can be proud that you helped to facilitate that. Right. And obviously, obviously the connection that you have when you look at a singer, when you're conducting as well, and you can see that they're mm. in that flow, you know, oh, they're in yeah. that, in that, I think that's, that's, you know, that's pretty incredible too. having those moments where you catch someone's eye. Absolutely. So, um, all right. What about like, was there like an, I made it moment? Was it, was there a particular bow somewhere or or something like that where you're like yeah this is I'm I feel like I'm here. Sure, um, I mean, yes, that the feeling of um, 
that the the length of time between the cutoff of the last note and the sound of the audience. You know, I feel like the that that length of time got a little bit shorter uh, over the years, mm-hmm. and there was definitely a moment um, uh, where I conducted um, Beethoven Nine, the finale of Beethoven Nine, and. Um, which is so incredibly amazing in itself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Talk about adrenaline. Goodness Absolutely. gracious. Absolutely. And just, you know, getting clap, you know, uh, was just, that was a thrilling moment. Where of, was that? Um, that was in California. That your, uh, for, your former uh, position? Uh, yeah. So that was with the Santa Clara Chorale and the Symphony San Jose. Um they just and, couldn't wait. They just couldn't wait to clap. Well, I mean, you know, it's a piece everybody recognizes. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets really excited about it. But just just the feeling of having gotten to the end of it and feeling good about, um, you know, what I made of the movement um, because it's such an iconic piece of music. You know, it wasn't as though I was um, – venturing and, and into new territory, introducing a new piece to people, right. you know, I was, I was tackling, um, one of the war horses. And so that was a scary moment, but it was, it was thrilling to sort of get to the end and, and feel good about it. And I, I definitely had a, a feeling of, well, if I can do that, then I feel, um, ready to tackle other things Great. as well. Very good. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well now let's move on. Um, to the Your Forte segment. This is our second segment, and it's where you share something that you feel that you do particularly well as a conductor. It's not to toot your own horn, but this is really just to share with Choir Nation um, some actionable advice based on something that you feel that you do really well. So what what is that thing that you feel that you do quite well that you could share with us? Well, um, I feel like I, I run a pretty good rehearsal. You know, I, um, I have at minimum three um, long evening rehearsals a week. Goodness. Um, and By long, what do you mean? Like hour, two hours? or Like either 6.30 to 10 oh. or 7, <laughs> 7.30 to 10. Okay. Um, two and a half hours, two and a half hours or, or more. And these are with adults? With adults, yeah. Good. I was going to say, because uh, I work with kids and there's no way that that would ever fly. <laughs> <laughs> and so oftentimes, you know, I, I, I'll be in front of more than 400 singers every week. Um, and that's a lot of people to, to keep engaged mm-hmm. and a lot of people to get results from. Um, so, you know, I, I work very hard um, – to ensure the fact that no two rehearsals, no uh, in any given week, or no rehearsal from week to week, even with the same ensemble, will will be the same because I I'm not rehearsing the same thing, um, and I've I've um, solicited and gotten some really positive feedback from my from my singers about you know oh when I came after work I just felt awful but you know two and a half hours later I'm I feel ready to tackle the world and ready to tackle this piece. And, um, you know, I get a sense that, that I was doing my job then. That's so um, special. Like when you have, when you have 
I think it's a thing that's particularly wonderful about community ensembles because I know you mm-hmm. run a couple, you know, that you have these people that don't eat, sleep, you know, and breathe music day in and day out and that they come from from their desk job or the cubicle or, or, or whatever. And you're just the highlight of their week, you know, and there's something so special about that as a, as a as somebody who directs, you know, a community ensemble. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I... I try in my rehearsal preparation process to think really carefully about who my singers are, you know, where they are and why they're there. And as a result of that process, I will custom fit my warm up. I will always do a warm up um, and it's never the same twice. Um, I'll custom fit the warm up, the pace of my rehearsal, the the units of my rehearsal, sort of the choice and the order of repertoire to achieve my goals for that day. Are there some rules that you have there for pay, you know, as far as when you switch from piece to piece or section to section to keep it interesting in a long rehearsal like that? Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to, um, read the body language of your singers and you have to think about their, their voices, right. And what, what you're asking them to do for how long, um, and also their mind. Um, so I'll typically not begin my rehearsal with the very hardest thing, right? Um, right after the warm up, but do something, whether it's a, a corner of the repertoire or a particular technique that just gets the voice flowing. And then I'll put my hand on the on the throttle of, you know, getting your mind working and just sort of start to push that a little bit. Um, and then I feel like I'll have my singers ready to do the heavy lifting for the day. And I do try to do that in the, in the first block of rehearsal. I, I think really carefully about what my singers will reasonably achieve after the break, you know, between nine and 10 PM, Mm -hmm. as opposed to what they might achieve in the beginning. Um, and it's a different process than when I'm preparing for symphonic choir at Westminster, you know, for in that instance, um, I'm working with people who sing every day of the week, um, of similar age. And they're not only singing in symphonic choir, but perhaps in other choral ensembles in church choirs and their voice lessons. Um, so that warm up doesn't necessarily need to be as long, doesn't need to be as much of a, quasi voice lesson, right? Um, it's not, it doesn't require as much, um, focusing in in that instance. Um, so I, I, I just try to, to custom fit what I'm doing, um, to match who, with whom I'm working and, and where we are in our process. Gotcha. And Dr. Brando, are you are you familiar with just to backtrack for a second? Are you familiar with Simon Sinek's book Start with Why? No, that's a great book. Simon Sinek, it's S I N E K. He wrote a book called Start with Why, and there's actually a, a TED Talk um, that's incredibly popular. Probably one of the one of the biggest TED Talks uh, on the internet uh, is Simon Sinek's Start with Why, and it really you really hit on that when you said. Um, you think about who they are and why they're there. Uh, and I think a lot of times we put, we put emphasis on why we're there and not so much on why your choir is there. And I think right, we'd all be I have better to that keep way. that in balance. You know, if I go in only thinking to myself, I am here tonight 
to nail down this fugue once and for all. You know, that's great. But I have to balance that with um, thinking about, as you said, why my singers have chosen to take time out of a very busy week to spend two and a half, three hours with me that night. Um, a lot of the people that I work with, um, you know, they, they're very successful people when they're not in my choral rehearsal. I'm really fortunate to, to work with a lot of achievement junkies and bright people. Um, and so I, I read that, you know, and I, I never dumb down my sense of humor. I don't shy away from, from being demanding. Um, I would, I'm so fortunate in that in all of my ensembles, everyone is there to achieve, to improve, to grow as a voice, as a mind, as a musician. Um, and that that really feeds me, and then in turn, I feed it back to them. Um, and that love of our art form kind of keeps all of us really motivated. Well, very good. I, I think if I want to boil this down for 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 Choir Nation, you know, it looks like one of the tips that you're offering here is is remember why why they're there. If whether, whether they're middle school students, whether they're college students, whether they're community Absolutely. members, remember why they're there and keep that in balance. I also yeah. heard um, that, you know, when it comes to pacing of rehearsal, you know, you really have to read the body language, um, you know, read the energy. And even if it's not necessarily in your agenda to move on at that moment, you might have a better rehearsal if you do. Right. I mean, I've I've certainly sat in rehearsals um, with conductors who uh, it where I wonder if the rehearsal would have the same components regardless of how the choir sounded or felt, you know, that there's this adherence to a plan, a methodology, a particular pedagogy um, that that person is determined to use, you right. know, come hell or high water. Um, and I always go in with a fully fleshed out rehearsal plan. And then I also have a plan B, you know, for any given part of any given unit of that rehearsal. Um, so that if I need to make a shift, I can do that. Gotcha. Very good. Is there, are there obviously those points where you come into rehearsal, maybe not feeling like you're as prepared as, as, as you should be? I mean, do you have those moments regularly or do you feel like you definitely take time to really flesh out every single rehearsal. I mean, how, how prepared are you and how improvisatory can you, can you become? Well, I, I, I am, um, I absolutely make time to be prepared for every rehearsal, sometimes at the expense of other things. Um, because it, uh, you know, it's not fair to my singers, you know, who, as I said, they're all giving up, um, any number of things to, to be a part of that. And I owe it to them, um, to, to do my job, um, as fully as I can. Uh, so I, I try always to feel prepared. Um, and, but I, you know, there are lots of improvisatory things in the rehearsal. And I think that's, that's a key part of the balance. You know, I, I don't go into rehearsal where, it's clear to the singers that at this moment I'm at Roman numeral one, letter A, small Roman numeral one, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so there's, there is a lot of improvisation 
um, in in the rehearsal, both in how we're interpreting, you know, how I help them interpret the music, how I talk about the music, mm-hmm. um, and also uh, very very often the sound of the ensemble um, immediately helps me realize what it is I need to do at that moment to 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 problem solve. Um, so a big part of for me getting the rehearsal right is listening, 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 you know, that I'm not just reading my rehearsal plan, but that I'm always listening to how the choir sounds, feeling sort of what they feel like under my hands, um, and responding that way. Um, because it's, it can, it's all too easy to forget about the instrument you're working with itself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, it's flesh and blood and, and you have to, um, stay on top of that. Very true. And very lastly, before we wrap up this section, um, is there a particular format that you use to plan your rehearsal when you, when you write it down? Is it on a computer? Is it by hand? Is there, is it a checklist? What, how does that? It's by hand. Okay. Um, I have, you know, I have composition books, um, and that really helps me too, because then I can, I can, um, keep track of where I am with every, every piece and every ensemble. Um, and I will make notes to myself, you know, about what worked, what didn't work. Um, and other notes about what I have to do, uh, the following week. Um, so it's by hand, um, you know, on, on, in a, in a notebook. Um, and some people, um, will plan their rehearsal, you know, using sort of timestamps mm-hmm. this, this, you know, from seven forty-five to eight o'clock, I'm going to do this. And I, I don't, um, box myself in like That's that. That's hard. That's really hard to do. Um, I mean, I, I have a list of, um, things I I'd like to achieve. And I will also, um, write out, you know, how I plan to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which section I'm going to do with, with which other section and um, any other rehearsal techniques that I that I know will be helpful um, for that for that part, but um, it's it's detailed enough that I'm never at a place where I'm in a rehearsal and I say let's uh, let's go back to letter A and try that again, mm-hmm. um, you know, because as I've said, I my singers are busy people who. Um, have a lot of demands on their time and any sense that I'm wasting their time is, isn't fair. Um, but it's not so detailed that I feel like, Oh, I failed in my plan. Cause I didn't get to, you know, as I said, Roman numeral one letter, a third little Roman numeral. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't, um, because that's just not how, how, how music works. You know, it's, it's an organic, uh, organic process. Awesome. All right. Okay. Well, this brings us now into the Accelerando round. All right. So this is, this is the third and final round. And basically the, the, uh, questions are designed to give us about, you know, 30 second, one minute answer something like that. Um, so we're just sort of rapid fire here. Okay. So, First off, what project are you most excited about right now? You know, to be honest, I'm I am really excited right now about the diversity of my projects. 
Um, so on my plate right now, I have Rachmaninoff Vespers, uh, Monteverdi Vespers, Mozart Vespers, um, but I also have a, uh, a world premiere of a piece by a composer named Elizabeth Lim and a premiere of a Rene Clausen piece. Um, and I'm working on um, a fascinating piece by Luigi Dalla Piccola called the Canti di Prigionia, which has me, you know, working on figuring out how to count whole note triplets in 4-2, where <laughs> the half note equals 40. And, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out Church Slavonic. Um, I'm also working on some Josquin and, and Lasso um, and Clemens Don Papa. So it's it's pulling me in all kinds of different directions Everything. right now, yeah, um, the stuff I have on my plate. And I love that sense of... Um, forcing myself to be a jack of all musical trades uh, all at the same time keeps me on my toes awesome well i'm gonna let you slide with that answer even though you sort of gave me the the full you know not the one <laughs> particular thing but no that was very good that was very good I, are you sure you've never been in politics no, i'm kidding <laughs> yeah exactly well, no, it's, on any given night i'm most excited about that project you know no it's, um, it sounds i mean it, right exactly and i think that that keeps you uh, that keeps everything really exciting. So Absolutely. why not? Let's let's. All right. Well, going moving on. All right. What advice do you have for your younger self? I mean, you're young as it is. So I mean, maybe when you were 12, I don't know. But uh, uh, what advice do you have for your younger self? Um, to never stop preserving, doggedly preserving time for your own music making. You know, as I said earlier, when you conduct, you don't sing. When True. you conduct, you don't play the piano. When you conduct, you don't play the cello. Um, and the more conducting um, I take on, the harder it is to carve out time from for me to actually emit my own music making. Um, so that's uh, how do you make that happen? What what do you? I know you're I know you're a cellist, and I know you're obviously not you're anymore. A singer. But um, uh, particularly for me, it's with with voice and piano. You know, just finding time to to do that. Um, so summertime is obviously a big a big component of my own music making. Um, but just wherever possible, uh, really making it a priority to say I'm going to continue to make my own music. Awesome. All right. Now, in your opinion, what do you believe makes an outstanding conductor? Good ears. Perfect. All right. That's great. Works for me. Okay. Walk us through your ideal morning routine, your, 60, your first 60, 90 minutes of your day. <laughs> now, on an ideal situation, I, obviously this, these things can't happen every day maybe, but oh, gosh. what is well, your morning routine? I, ideal you versus just how it is. I mean well, – um, How is it? Let's start with that. How, how is it? What is your well, morning like? The alarm goes off at 8.17 and I wake up and um, grab my phone and the first thing I do is delete all, all junk mail. Um, I go through my email while I'm still kind of half awake and get rid of everything that's just going to clog up my day and delete it and flag the things that are important. Um, and then I, you know, get up, get showered, get dressed. And I, I take a slightly longer walk to the subway, um, just to, so I can move around a little bit and enjoy my neighborhood. 
Um, and then I hop the subway to Penn Station and get on the train. Um, and on a typical day, I'm headed down to Westminster for um, Symphonic Choir. Awesome. All right. I, I like how you use your your email as almost a checklist, you know, for, for the day, the flagging the things. It almost helps you set goals a little bit for the day, things that you know you have to get done. Absolutely. Although if you speak to my friends in the entrepreneur world, they would tell you to hurl your phone off a cliff and not touch it because, you know, because uh, and I sort of I sort of subscribe to the same idea is that your email is everyone else's to do list. Well, that's a great point. And, and um, you know, I, I, I agree with that. So I, I will say that my phone never makes a noise or vibrates when I get an email. That's beautiful. I only, I only choose to check my email. So notifications so, are generally are generally uh, muted. Good. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So I take care of that first thing in the morning, just kind of clear, you know, weed it out. And then I have a sort of dedicated time later in the day when I'll sit down and address the things I need to address. Very good. All right. What was your most favorite concert that you've attended? Uh, pick one. You have to a- pick one. I don't want to hear... I know, I know, no, um, in recent years, the concert I have not forgotten was a concert, um, in New York city at St. Mary the Virgin in Times Square. And I saw the British chamber choir Tenebrae. Oh my goodness. Are they not the most insane thing you've ever heard? Oh, it, uh, it was my favorite because they did a lot of my favorite music. Um, a lot of this British music that's, that's really close to my heart and, it was superb, um, just from beginning to end. And I was in great company um, with a great friend in a beautiful space, um, beautiful music. And I, I've just never heard a live performance that um, that polished and that compelling. Mm-hmm. I was going to use the same word. I, 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 if you flip the tables here and were interviewing me, my answer would be Tenebrae at the Basilica of St. Peter and Paul in Philadelphia. Mm. And they did uh, mostly Russian music that evening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and did um, the opening of the Rachmaninoff Vespers while walking down the aisle. And there's something about being in a such a beautiful place with marble floors. And I think no wonder people sing in the shower, right? Uh, you oh, know? absolutely. <laughs> and I just, oh, and... That gentleman who sings bass, I, I, I used to know his name. The, Adrian Peacock. Oh, yeah. just, I want to sound like that when I'm, when I'm that's his age. A, that's a one in five million oh, larynx, I'll tell you what. Just amazing, just amazing. I hope he's listening. Uh, all right, what is your favorite personal growth or music book? My answer to this is not a book, but it's, it's the... The Sunday New York Times. Okay. Because if if I can, I almost always try to preserve an hour on a Sunday to just sit down with the Sunday paper and read my way through it. Because it, it takes me, it kind of wormholes me out of my music conductor, educator world to the rest of the world. And I can check in um, in this very non-digital analog kind of way I mean actually get the physical paper delivered to the outside world to the, the the big ideas social political economic what have you ideas that are being tossed around at that moment and I can check in on what people are up to 
in the arts scene here at NYC. I can, um, you know, not to sound too corny, but I can, I can just think for a little while about humanity and where we are right now without specifically relating it to music, right? And without being given do's and don'ts or checklists and prescriptions and proscriptions about what I ought and ought not to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And that helps me not get mired in method or methodology, Um, you know, and it allows me then to approach those, that week's rehearsal as a human being relating to a bunch of other human beings through music. It sort of, it repositions what I do for me every week. Um, so it's a, it's a really great moment for me once a week, just to check in again, um, you know, with, with the non-musical world. And then I see the musical world's place and, and I see the necessity of the musical world in that bigger world. Well, it's great that you can look at, you can look at it that way. Cause I know, you know, definitely, um, the New York Times gives you a lot of beautiful things to think about, and sometimes it gives you a lot of tragic things to think about. But absolutely, you know, if you can fit, you know, but exactly what you said, you know, music, music carves out its new place every week, you know, um, in in the world. It 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 always leaves me reconnected to the why. Exactly. Very that good to come back around to that. Very good to reincorporate that, Doctor Brando. You know, and and uh, I wanted to say if you if you had given me a published book, um, I would tell you that you could go to Doctor Brando's show notes page at ryanguth.com forward slash zero zero three, and I would put a link to that book. But I'm actually going to put a link to the New York Times, and I'm going to put a link to Simon Sinek's Start With Why. So right. I think that's come up twice for a reason. So here is the, here's the kicker. This is the big question. If you had only one concert left in your lifetime, a choir with limitless ability and access to a sold-out concert venue of your choosing, where would your final concert be and what would be the last piece on that program? That final concert would be in a hall that has the world's best acoustic. You know, when you were just talking about hearing Tenebrae, you, you mentioned the marble floor, you know. So it would be a place that connects us through hard materials to the, the physicality of the human voice. And for me, the last piece would have to be the Dona Nobis Pacem from the Mass in B minor, Bach. Um, just as, as an example of what our art form is capable of doing, putting together all the components. I love the message mm-hmm. of the text. I love the way the subject reaches up Right, sort of climbs up to the fourth scale degree, but doesn't quite make it any higher than that. It reminds us that we're still striving, we're still reaching. And I love the way the trumpet part becomes independent. You know, 
uh, a little over halfway through, there's this sense of something leaving, leaving the human struggle, leaving this group of people, um, working their way through all of that counterpoint. Uh, it, it reminds us we can escape our here and now. That is a great answer. And, and you know what? If, if, if you were sitting next to me and I was taking a test, I'd be cheating off your, your, your paper. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's a wonderful answer. Wonderful answer. All right. So, you know, now's the time just to give our listeners, Choir Nation, some parting words of encouragement. I'd have to say never take for granted the amazingness of what it is that we do. To me, it, it stuns me every week, every month, every year, that a bunch of human beings can stand together and make some noise with their throats and create something whose whole is by a factor of 10 or 1,000 greater than the sum of all those parts. Um, just to never lose sight of the magic of what we do. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, thank you. Dr. Brando. What is the best way that we can we can get a hold of you and connect with you uh, moving forward? Um, email is great, uh, ryanbrando at gmail.com uh, or Facebook. Awesome. Very good. So we'll, we'll look you up via email or, or Facebook, and I, uh, I will put links to both of those in the show notes as well. Excellent. And, uh, all right. Well, Dr. Brando, thank you so much. And, and thank you. We appreciate you being a part of this podcast. You bet. Thank you for listening to Find Your Forte with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at www.ryanguth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Until next time, be amazing.